I try to get people to understand that we could do more economically on a lower level as opposed to sitting around waiting for the next politician that they're going to come to our neighborhoods and make change. We need to tap into our superpowers. And a lot of people do not know that they have them. They just like sit there and like, well, I'm going to wait for this. I'm going to wait for my stimulus check. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. No, if we come together and create like a brand where we let everybody know what we stand for and what we do to really like revive our economical system where everybody starts to benefit from it. Politicians have been making promises for God knows how long and nothing gets delivered. I'm just sick and tired of it. Welcome everyone to the Cassandra Properties Podcast. We've got another special guest for you today. He is an investor. He specializes in creative financing, raising capital. We're going to talk about Bitcoin, something that I don't know was just fascinating to me and I can't seem to get my hands around yet. So maybe he'll help the audience and myself walk through that. James Mithel, he's a dynamic personality. He's got a tremendous following on social. We're really excited to have you with us today. How are we doing? Very good. Thank you for having me. Well, thanks for taking the time out. So where as crazy as it seems, these these podcasts have a way of growing, right? Like out of your home base. And, and the first few episodes we did were local local folks. And then next thing you know, we had people on from all over the country. But it's nice to bring it back home here. I'm a Staten Island boy. I married a Brooklyn girl. You're from Brooklyn. Yes, so I am. I think it's appropriate if we can kind of just set the stage for the audience. Can we, you know, kind of talk about your upbringing, some of your influences and, and the steps that we took to get here? So can we go back to the beginning and, and start there? Um, Yeah, sure. Um, Thank you for having for having me. So first thing first, like I grew up in Brooklyn. I've been there for like 27 years out of Haiti. So I've been in New York City pretty much my whole life. I've never lived anywhere else up until now. So I kind of like started off as like just working just everywhere. It has always been random. I think like now it's like more focused, but it has been random, just like different jobs here and there. I have a background of uh, working for New York City Transit. So outside of like just working from random jobs, I got a great job as an operator, customer service, working for New York City Transit. Once I did that and I purchased, I believe my first uh, duplex in Brooklyn, which I still own now. And it kind of like went from there. So you were an operator working for New York City Transit. So you, so you were working the phones, handling customer service, handling I guess what was primarily complaints, issues, headaches, that sort of stuff. Yeah. And also like driving the uh, local buses, express buses. Then I became a trainer, a line trainer on the express buses going into the city in Manhattan. And then um, after that, I think like <laughs> I got to the... I got to the position where I was supposed to be promoted as a manager, but I decided like, because I spent about like 12 years there, I took the city test to get promoted as a supervisor, but a dispatcher actually, but I decided not to do that simply because I wanted to pursue my own dreams and career, pretty much what I'm doing now. So that's, that's funny. And I always seem to find with serial entrepreneurs, like we are, we all, we all have similar threads woven into the fabric of our stories. When I was a kid, quite honestly, I, I had gotten into a little bit of trouble and I needed a change of scenery. I went down to Florida. I went to school there. You know, my pops basically said, look, you know, you want to go to a movie, get a job. You want to get a car, get a job. You want to go out on a date, get a job. You want to go to school, get a job. You know, that, that, that's, that's the deal. 
you know, it's reality time. And I did that. I went and I worked at a Walgreens, started out as, uh, you know, stocking the shelves. Uh, actually, I was, I was actually not even stocking the shelves. I started off in the stock room. And then within two years, I graduated myself up to uh, an assistant manager of the store. And similar to your experience, uh, they had offered me a promotion. I was only 20 years old at this time. So I was managing 30 or 40 people. They were opening up a new district. His name was Irv Semenite. I'll never forget this. And he had given me an opportunity to go to Texas to be a store manager. You know, as a 20-year-old kid, it was more money than I had ever dreamed I was going to make. Yeah, um, but there was just something in me that said, no, it, it just as much as I like, cause I do love structure and I do love uh, the discipline and I do love having a set schedule. I didn't love when there were obvious things to me that we could do better. You had to operate in the lines, you know, Walgreens is a, it's a great company. They, they didn't have any room for operating outside of the lines whatsoever. And it just for whatever reason, I said, uh, I'm, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to pass on it. And I didn't know I wanted to get, you know, in real estate, mom was a beast in the industry and uh, up here in New York. And one thing led to another. And I ended up back here doing what I'm doing. So I wonder, you know, what was it that told you, no, this isn't for me, you know, to have an opportunity to take the test and, and, and go up the ranks. What was it that stopped you in your tracks? I think like what stopped me was like, what people need to understand is the like passion surpass money. It surpassed like everything in between. Like a lot of the times, like we don't, we don't encounter waking up, doing whatever you want. You know what I mean? Not having that alarm clock set up at four o'clock in the morning not having an answer to this person, to that person, and not having to walk a straight line. So sometimes like, if you take money out of it, so I asked myself that question. I was like, James, if you take the money out of it, the salary that trans is going to pay you, would you still do it? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like right now, if I'm not being paid, so I tell a lot of people that I work with, like if you take out the money, take out the money, take out the audience, take out the following, take out social media, take out everything, would you still do it? I still would because like I have a strong passion for it where it wakes me up in the morning. Like there are times I'm up, even though I'm not working for anybody else, I'm a full-time entrepreneur, but I wake up at like four or five o'clock in the morning. But it's simply because like there are days like I want to, <laughs> not because I have to. I don't have an alarm clock set up. So I so I was thinking in my mind says like, okay, take off the money. Would I still do this? I would not. Even given the money, I still didn't do it. So I was like, man, I don't care. Even if I make half of that, less than half of that, forget the money but i just want to do whatever the hell i want forget father's opinion mother's opinion sisters brother friends whatever i don't care even if i end up homeless i still do not care i just want to do whatever the hell i want and that was the passion that was the drive that was the motivation i did not need to speak to anybody i did not need confirmation from anyone it's just like there's that certain burning fire desire that's inside of you telling like you want more than what this is. And I think like a lot of entrepreneurs do have that. A lot of business owners, successful people, they have that inside of them. It's not somebody could pay me like six figure salary where I do my own thing where I make like 30, 40,000 dollars. Like I'm happier than that. Simply because like I'm not I'm not a robot. Like I walk out of that <laughs> mindset. I, I don't know. For me it's just like real different. So a lot a lot of that just like driven me into like I don't care about the money. I just want to do what I want. <laughs> So the, this entrepreneurial spirit that you talk about and the fire, and by the way, I'm going to use that passion surpasses money. I love that. <laughs> um, is this something you think that 
that we're born with? Can you teach the entrepreneurial spirit? Can it be cultivated? Do you have it and you or you don't? You know what, James, to be honest with you, I do not try to really try to push everybody to be an entrepreneur because here's the reason, right? Like a lot of people are saying like, oh, everybody should be an entrepreneur. You should do this. You should do that. Run your own business. Be successful. No, my opinion is do not. It's not as easy as it sounds on paper, television, commercials, social media. It sounds great. Everybody loved to, <laughs> you know, the infatuation with being yourself and being who you are and like making money, being successful is great. But there's a lot of back end work that we don't speak about. So no, I do not tell everybody like, you should do this, you should do that. No, because a lot of people used to love the, what is that favorite saying that if I could do it, anybody can. I don't say that to nobody. You want to know why? Because it took a beast for me to be here. And that's that. <laughs> not everybody could do that. Not everybody have that spirit. Not everybody have that burning fire. So the answer to your question, I would say is no, because we need people to work at Walmart. Somebody got to handle your website. Somebody got to handle when you go to Kroger, when you go to Walmart, somebody got to handle the register. Somebody got to be your web host. Somebody got to hand you over your drink. Somebody. And it's not to diminish those people, but it's just to say that there's a position for everyone. So entrepreneurship, I think it's gifted, it's talented. You can't just like, everybody can't be a hustler, um, a motivational speaker. Everybody can't run a business. It, the idea of it is like, yeah, you should do that. It's awesome. It's great. You have it in you, but not everybody does. And that's reality. And I just want to be blunt and honest about that. I, I, I have to say, I agree with you. I mean, you, <laughs> you see a lot of people out there, uh, Gary V, someone you followed and I followed, and you see a lot of people that kind of just push, push, push. And that dude is cold and I love him. Yeah. <laughs> Straight up. He, he doesn't pull any punches and he, he's, he, you know, he's someone I followed and I've, I've taken a lot of things from over the years that I do believe that not everybody is programmed the same without question. Yeah. And, and like you said, people don't understand and don't appreciate the, the level of sacrifice that goes right. in to this side of it. You know, they say the grass is always greener. Uh, a lot of times, you know, I look at folks that are in a different role in life and at five o'clock they're off nights, they're off weekends, they're off. You know, right. James, I, I started uh, business coaching and leadership coaching recently. And one of the exercises they had us do was, you know, fill out these questions and, and your spouse had to participate in that, that piece. One of the questions was about when's the last time you were completely off and you couldn't answer it. Your significant other had to answer it like no phone, no text, no email, no meetings, no nothing. My wife responded and it hit me like a ton of bricks. We've been married for 14 years. He has never taken a day off, including our wedding day where I had meetings in the morning, which is the truth. There's a, a heavy toll that comes along with what we do. There's a lot of missed events and disappointed family and a lot of pain and a lot of suffering and a lot of anxiety and a lot of late nights that folks don't quite get on the other side of it. So like you said, this is not for everybody and it is not that easy. Yeah. Let's not promote that it's for everyone. <laughs> I, I agree. Cause everyone's out there running around now, like, Hey, it's a new world. And you know, we're all going to be able to work remote and it's going to be free. And we're going to be able to do these different things. And that's awesome. <laughs> Don't think it doesn't come with a massive barrel of sacrifice. So you, you have this moment, you're like, you know what, this isn't for me. The, the fire is burning. You want to do something different. Now, at that point, you had already owned that first investment property? Oh, yeah. I had owned that first investment property at the age of like 22, 23. Wow. Yeah. So real estate was always kind of a gig for you, something you always wanted to be around? 
Not really. Um, it just like, I was watching this guy who I now follow. His name is Dean something. I forgot exactly what his last name is, but I had recently reached out to him and I'm surprised he messaged me back. I've been watching this guy since I was like maybe 17 years old, 18 years old, smoking weed and like doing drugs and like passing out <laughs> like one o'clock in the morning. He was making commercials and he was out in Florida making commercials about saying that rich people are rich because they have decided that they want to be rich and poor people are poor because they have decided that they wanted to be poor. And I was like, what the hell is this guy talking about? And I was like, high off my mind. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> like every night this commercial would come on, but it was like after midnight, you know, when all the crazy lunatics are up in New York City. <laughs> I was up, you know what I mean? Like I had a regular bullshit job, like doing random stuff, whatever, right? And I'm like, what is he talking about? And like, I got fascinated by that statement that he made that rich people are rich because simply they decided that they wanted to be rich. They made a decision and poor people are poor. And he started to describe it in a way like I didn't understand him at first. I just recently reached out to that guy who was like, has a large amount of influence. He got into detail explaining how like you mold your life. So that commercial, for some reason, it has pushed me to my limits that like you mean to tell me I could decide that I, I can become successful out of just making a decision, like really? And he explained how like sometimes like subconsciously, conscious or not, you're, you're molding your life. And that is a fact. Every yeah. decision you make, every person you connect with, every friendship, every network, everything that you do, you are molding your life. Past the age of 18, 21, nobody, your parents is not responsible anymore. You know what I mean? They're responsible for at least maybe like say 30, 40%, but the other 50, 60, 70, like it's up to you. So the decisions you make after that, like, has a large impact on how you live your life. So I started to really, like, get into that commercial. Every night it would come on and I would be high. I would never be sober. I'm drunk, fast, and high. I'm like, this guy has a point. <laughs> I'm like, I want to follow that. And, and his background was real estate. So I started to follow that. And at the time, like, I did not own anything, whatever. Like, I had, like, $5 in the bank. And then, of course, at the age of 23, I purchased my first property in Brooklyn. But, like, I didn't have that whole real estate background. But it just started to come to me. So I started to follow that pattern that guy was talking about. And I started to kind of, like, I guess, network and, like, figuring out, like, I wanted passive income. I got it. Do you remember when city accounts used to earn you, like, say, 4 to 5% yep. for the year? People used to invest in city accounts. So I got into that. So I kind of like created a, like a little bit of a investment mindset by buying CDs, mutual funds, getting three, four percent return every six months, every year. I had a financial advisor at Chase Bank that was telling me what to do with my money. And then after a while, I started working for transit. And I started to invest more into like a 401k and whatever. And all that kind of like kicked in in me. And it's like, I want more. I want to have like another income outside of my job. Like, how do I do that? And then I started to like pretty much network and like, have you read the book Secrets of the Millionaire Mind, T. Harv Eker? No, I haven't. It's a great book. Um, I, I really recommend it. And it speaks to some of what you're talking about, where it is a mindset to some extent that you don't even realize you're putting lids on yourself and you're <laughs> making subconscious decisions for whatever yeah. the reasons are. And we all have our own story and our own cross to bear and our own problems that manifest themselves in different ways. But Basically, this book teaches you to start thinking like a millionaire. If you don't start thinking like a millionaire, you're never going to be a millionaire, or at least 
you won't stay a millionaire. And it starts to unlock that side of the brain for you. And for me, it was it was crazy, crazy productive. But I do think that there is also just certain inherent opportunities that are present for some and not present for other. That's I know you've, you've done a ton of work in some of the underserved communities down in Nashville, I think. Is that correct? Correct. How did that come to be? And, and you know, I assume this has become a passion for you as it has for me. I'd love to hear your story about that and then jump into some of the investment stuff. Okay. So I had the opportunity, like, so I think like at the very beginning where I was supposed to um, partake in that position that I was supposed to transition into <laughs> and my boss, he liked me so much. He was like, James, you could do this. Like I'll vouch for you. Like I have the GM of the building who's telling me like, I'll, I'll vouch for you. Like you could do this. And you know, like a big part of me wanted to do it. But then again, I've been doing what I've been told to do all my life. <laughs> I've been living the life that people just think that I should live. Like what my mother said, what friends and family think, like how I should live. I never really followed what I wanted to do. And I think like a big part of me just like wanted to drop all of that. I just wanted to do exactly what I wanted. And then my boss is like, well, if you leave, if you quit, like I had a lot of coworkers who would tell me things like, well, what are you going to do? Like, what if that doesn't work? What is this? What is this? And that created a lot of fear. Oh, the stress of being in New York City for so many years. And it's not that I hated my life. I think it's just like more like wanting more. So I had the opportunity to really grow and build. And I know that I can. I think all that pressure just like stopped me. But then eventually I build enough uh, strength to say, you know what, I'm going to do this. So when I had an opportunity here to come here, coming here to Nashville is really temporary. It's just like just to be out here and build my business and grow and create uh, another network. And it's a cheaper market to get into. So my girlfriend and I, we have two properties here where we live in one now. So and the other one is just a rental property. And then I went out to Florida. So I go back and forth between like Nashville and Florida. I'm in Orlando. I have properties. Well, I have a condo and West Palm Beach. Um, I have three projects going on right now in um, Orlando, Florida. So I pretty much created a partnership with Sky Investment Company where pretty much I helped them raise money to build and redevelop small communities and uh, revive those neighborhoods. And we, you know, we went to like trailer park neighborhoods and like trying to buy up some land and like rebuild those communities and make it more livable and like bring people together and just to, I guess, grow as a whole. I fell in love with, I guess, concept, that lifestyle of just like being able to uh, do what I want, but at the same time, have a financial infrastructure where I could help others build, help others grow and entrepreneurs, investors. How do we come together? How do we flip? So I started flipping properties with other people. So outside of uh, what I'm doing personally, I currently probably only have about like five, seven properties. One is a, the two unit in Brooklyn, but then there's like a 200 unit that I own with <laughs> other people. So it's, there's a lot involved. <laughs> yeah. So let's pretend for a minute that you're quite a success story. So I, I think for you, this is really relevant. Let's pretend for a minute that you are now the president of the United States. I, I, I kind of look at this as we're all running a, a hundred yard dash. The problem is some of us are starting at the 50, some are starting at the 30, some are starting at zero for the normal hundred, some are starting 150 back. How do we get everybody up on par? What, what could we do 
to kind of break this cycle where it seems like it doesn't matter who's in office. It doesn't matter what the story of the day is. It seems like it's always the same thing that, that we end up with, which is nothing gets changed in a substantial way. So you're the president. What can we do? How do we start fixing things? Politics, I try to stay away from um, <laughs> speaking about top, um, politics with a lot of people simply because like it changes relationships with people. And like, yeah. I understand that politics is very different. But I try to get people to understand that we could do more economically on a lower level as opposed to sitting around waiting for the next politician that they're going to come to our neighborhoods and make change. We could do a lot more, James, if we raise awareness on the power. So a lot of the times, like, so to bluntly answer your question, we need to tap into our superpowers. And a lot of people do not know that they have them. They just like sit there and like, well, I'm going to wait for this. I'm going to wait for my stimulus check. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. No, if we come together, if we come together and create like a brand where we, we pretty much let everybody know what we stand for and what we do, we could get everybody to come together as a whole to really like revive our economical system where everybody starts to benefit from it as a whole, as opposed to just like winning for pot. Politicians have been making promises for God knows how long and nothing gets delivered. I'm just sick and tired of it. And that's why I don't talk about it. I'm like, in the past um, few months or weeks, I've raised close to about $100,000. And that's just independently. No hard money lenders, no banks, no nothing. Just me and my partner, we've raised like 100000 plus dollars. And right now I have the goal to raise like a million plus a year, just getting people to understand the dynamic of coming together, how powerful that is. And a lot of times like we could make change and guess what? Here's what happened, right? When we get people to understand their power, what they could do by joining hands and forces together as a whole, we then now get to control these politicians that's making promises that is not delivering what they say, they, what they're supposed to deliver. You understand what I'm saying? We, we could hold every politician accountable. If we take that zip code where you live in and we decide to join forces and control the supermarkets, the banks, the schools, the, uh, um, the prisons and everything around us, the financial, economical infrastructure, we get to control that zip code as a whole. And we hold these politicians accountable when they come to our borough and say that they're going to do this, they're going to do that. When they don't do it, guess what? We pull them out of office. You got to go. You know what I'm saying? I don't. I'm from Brooklyn. I keep it a hundred percent. Give me what you say you're going to deliver. Otherwise I just, I'm, I don't need no more promise. I don't need promises. I need things to be delivered. I need to see it in my eyes. I need to, I need to see the community changing. I need those um, bodegas to be locally owned. Stop shutting down mom and pop restaurants. Stop bringing all these franchise into the neighborhood in this. Oh my God. It's just so much. So I think like people have the power, but there's nobody to say, Hey, Let's pull our funds together. Let's pull our minds together. Let's have meetings. Let's let's do this. Let's do that. The next time the mayor come here, Giuliani, um, Obama, or Donald Trump, we're gonna tell them what we want. It's either what we want or that's you know what I mean. Like set rules, set boundaries. Yeah, that's what we need to do. So I I agree with you wholeheartedly. I, I feel like what's happening is sides are getting so entrenched. We don't even know what we're talking about anymore. All we know is. This person is on this side and this person is on that side. So you immediately disqualify this side as being irrational and crazy. And this side is being irrational and crazy. And nobody talks. Nobody the, talks anymore. James, you know what the problem is? Sometimes you could be on the wrong side and you don't even know it. Yeah, of course. <laughs> of course. You know, yeah. I don't think there, 
uh, James, I think at this point, I don't even think there is a right side. Honest to God, I feel like there's there's not a right side anymore. I feel like it's time everybody starts to put the anger down and talk. Let's start communicating. That's why we started this podcast was to communicate at a time when nobody was able to communicate. And it was right at the beginning of the lockdown. We said, let's give people a platform. Let's just keep a conversation going. Let's try and bring some normalcy into people's homes again. Uh, and and it just kind of took off from there. I, I agree with you. I think the most dangerous thing that we could do is get together and talk. You know, everybody just sit down, leave the anger at the door, and let's communicate. And I I I promise you, good things will happen. I hope that we're getting to a point where people have to be, have fatigue. Like there's Corona fatigue now, right? People are tired of Corona. I feel like this politics has got to have some fatigue too. Hopefully everybody could put this stuff down and just move on. You know what this guy said? Um, I forgot his name exactly, but he told government that it is a very good idea that society, 80% of people do not think for themselves. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if you ever read that quote, but there's a saying that it is a very, it's benefit for government that society, people as a whole do not think for themselves. You must control the minds of people. And when I read that, now I now understand like why a lot of things are happening. So sometimes like I hold back from giving an opinion <laughs> yep. because people are controlled by what they think, like what how they see the world. And it's the most powerful people are running this planet. And it's like if we come together, it's it's going to be a problem. And they don't want us to do that. I was thinking about this the other day and I'm, I'm writing a, an article for Forbes on it now about how insignificant the most important things that we think are in the moment that we are a part of they're estimating now there's somewhere between 100 and 200 billion galaxies out of that 100 or 200 billion galaxies they're saying roughly 25 percent of them have or had planets that they believe sustained water at some point, which means life. If you think about where one of one or 200 billion galaxies, and we have this crazy road rage, and we have things that happen in the moment, and we feel like it is the most important thing in the world, right on up to leaders that have made great accomplishments or have had great failures, man, it doesn't mean anything in the context of the galaxy, right? Like this isn't shit. And the things that we hold on to, and we have so much passion and anger about like, put it down, man. We're here for a short period of time. Let's just stop, you know? Let's stop. I don't know. I don't want to get off on too much of a tangent there because I've got a lot of investment questions for you. So with that crazy rant, I want to talk to you about creative financing. What are you seeing out there? What are some of the things you're doing? Um, and, you know, what kind of value can you help convey to the audience to maybe pick up on some of the things you're doing to get a portfolio going? Oh, well, we have as shocking as it may sound, but like my partner and I, for himself only, he has about seven properties that he got through creative financing. Like he doesn't even believe in like <laughs> the banks or whatever, because like we're. We don't like the bank simply because like we just had a when I first started, I went to Chase Bank to ask him for um, a loan to purchase a duplex. Um, I forgot where that was exactly, but they turned me down. Um, I, I went back to them, asked them for a business loan to start my business. They tell me like nine out of 10 businesses fail. So they're not going to give me a loan simply because like 
you know, uh, business or family too much. And it's like, it's not a, it's not a good idea. You probably shouldn't do it. And I was like, okay, there's a bad rep with banks and um, especially with my business partner as well. So we kind of like got very creative through how we get these deals, how we source them out. So we came up, uh, we didn't come up with the system, but we got a lot of our deals through uh, creative financing by using like the wholesale system which is door knocking, right? So we get properties off auctions. One of them first started up in upstate New York, right? In Saugerties, Kingston, New York. I went way up out there, uh, two hours, two and a half hours outside of the city where I saw properties in auction, um, where I purchased the property and I bring in another investor in where I had the money, I raised the money to pretty much purchase the property and somebody else comes in and pays for the rehab and I make them a capital investor. <laughs> you know, I tell them, listen, hey, so I was building my network through meetups. I'm sure you know meetups. So I, you know, I did a lot of events in the city, um, in Midtown, downtown. So, so I connected with a lot of investors where I met certain people, certain group of people where they were new to real estate, just like I was. So I was finding the property. So I was the brain where I was like, I was sourcing the properties, um, looking for the markets, uh, putting the deals together. And I would find people with money that had the money um, to rehab the properties. So I had the money to buy it, but I didn't have money to rehab it. So I would look for that person, but I would have these properties set up where I'm like, hey, man, I have a crazy deal for you. Um, I got this deal for $100,000. I'll buy it and you come with the rehab money. I'll make you a capital investor and I'll split everything with you evenly. Um, we would use the same lawyers, have a contract between us whatsoever. So I would do the purchase and they would rehab it and I would manage everything. So they didn't have a say so on whatever. Right. So then when um, I used their money to rehab the property, fully renovated, now the property's worth like double, sometimes triple. And then we would go to closing. So they would pretty much I would have their name on the deed of the property just to guarantee them. People, they're not just going to give you one hundred thousand dollars. Hey, James, here's this. You know what I mean? So you got to you got to convince people you got to have something to offer. So. I know that in order for somebody to invest with me, I had I had to have something to offer by getting these properties less than land value, you know what I mean? Getting them off auction and then bringing somebody else that could pay for the rehab and then turn around and flip it and give them 50% return. And it was happy. So I did a, a few of those deals in upstate New York and then I started to venture out. So when I, when I noticed like how much I could do, then I know that I could raise the money so then now I started to use silent investors where I go out and source the properties. And of course, because like I had a job at transit, so I had the income, I have great credit, I have stability and everything. So I could finance this property. So I was putting like 25, 30% down at all time. And I would just look for somebody to rehab it and then pay for that rehab, pay them 20, 25% return their money, walk away. And, and if I did find a, a, a big deal that I couldn't handle, I would bring somebody in as a capital investor where we would bring two or three people to the table like hey guys i have a i have a deal right here so i would bring the deals to the table i would source the deals out and i would say okay well if you have a business you have an entity well let's build we'll help you build business credit if you don't have the money and i have the funds this person don't have the funds so they build business credit and we kind of like put hands together by raising personal credit business credit and getting uh, funding through LLC and then financing these properties through uh, just 100% creative through credit. So you actually were meeting people at meetups and you were doing investment deals with them? Of course. And, 
you were that, that it's it's something that seems like such a, a simple idea, but I never in my wildest dreams thought about it. And now that you're saying it, like the lights are going off, like my God, of course that makes sense. Yeah. Right. So you would you would arrange for these meetups. You would say it's going to be about investing. You're bringing opportunities, and yeah. people would come down. They want to tap into your knowledge, your access to the pipelines, right? Your ability to carry these deals forward. So now, for example, if if let's say it was a hundred thousand dollar deal total, let's say it was a seventy five thousand dollar purchase price, and you needed twenty five thousand in renovation money, would you be seventy five percent of the deal, and they would be twenty five, or was it fifty fifty? No. If if I'm bringing a deal together and I'm finding it and I'm financing say seventy five percent, I would be um seventy five percent and there would be uh the extra twenty five percent. I would be seventy five percent. Now it depends on what kind of deal, how big it is. But to answer that question, yeah, I would be seventy five percent. But when I find like a big deal, for example, where it's I cannot afford to purchase it with my own cash, I would bring another big investor. It's like, dude. Let's come to this is the pro I would take them out to the property, look at the neighborhood, look at the zip code, look at the school system, look at this, look at that. So I would have a lot to sell. So I didn't really have to sell myself much because I know how to put the deal together. It was yeah. like, come here, let's look at this townhouse, let's look at this um single family home that's a three bedroom, two bath. You know what I mean? Like the school system is decent, decent neighborhood, whatever. The ARV is like three hundred thousand. Um, we get it for like one fifty, we'll put fifty grand into it, we could put it on the market for two ninety nine and People would gravitate towards that. And like, I'm down. I'm good for this. Of course, why not? So I would bring two people in or three people in. Um, I currently have a deal right now. There's a lot I'm I'm avoiding to talk about because I'm in a few legal battles right now because of COVID. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So <laughs> I don't want to say too much about it. But I've done deals where it was not my own money, where I raised uh, the funds to renovate the project or mm -hmm. purchase the property with another investor. So I used to have like meetups in like um, in Long Island. And uh, I used to be, you know, where the uh, the movie The Wolf of Wall Street was filmed? Yep. Yeah. In those areas, like I met a lot of investors in, in those neighbors and like big contractors, really, really big. So I would get those guys. And of course, it's like on a higher level. Like I met this guy named Tim like he flipped properties in like in Long Island that's like multi-million dollar deal. So I would have him come out to some of my work because I met him at a networking event. So I was like, Tim, I want your advice on this. Like, what do you think? What do you think I should do? What do you, you know what I mean? Because he was a big contractor. So I wouldn't just do things on my own. Like I would use expert advice on some of the big people out there and network with them. So I did a lot of my deals through networking and meetups. So you mentioned coronavirus, which has had a, a just a ridiculous impact on everybody, right? It, it's just been a very difficult road for for everyone, no matter what walk of life they're in. It's affected everybody in a different way. W what are some of the takeaways for you? You know, uh, we've had a little bit of time to self-reflect on this now. Um, so what are your takeaways uh, from a business perspective for, you know, now that we're hopefully starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel? Um, it has been good and bad at the same time. More good, actually. There's a couple of things that I still cannot speak about, given my legal battles with a few people. But um, it has been good um, on the other side, simply because I actually made a purchase out in West Palm Beach where I purchased a condo, like really, really, really cheap, simply because that person wanted their money. They got scared, whatever the case may be, they wanted out. And it was an investment property for them. And that person actually lived in Brooklyn. 
Um, so when I saw that property came on the market, I reached out to my agent and my agent told me like, uh, yes, this property is available and it's way under market value and you got to buy it in cash. And I told him I did not have the cash, but this person was still willing to sell. So I ended up buying a condo sight unseen. Okay. Um, <laughs> to be honest with you, I purchased the property sight unseen without even seeing it, without even going to Florida and seeing the property. I got the property renovated. I got a tenant in there, <laughs> got it cleaned up and rent the property out and started making cash flow. And still, I didn't even see the property until three months later. Wow. Crazy <laughs> that the, and that's one of the byproducts from coronavirus that I think is here to stay and has changed the way we do business. These virtual tours and the digital assets now, it is so crazy good that, um, you know, when you couple that with all the different programs where you can get, like you talked about school system data and demographics and shopping and comps, and there's just so much crazy data out there that, um, it's a lot easier to do deals now remotely. I think without a doubt. Oh yeah. I've done everything remotely. <laughs> I purchased remotely. I renovated remotely. I've rented remotely. I've actually never met my tenant. I never met my contractor. I've never, I, I didn't meet any of these people. <laughs> So how, how did you how did you do that? Because that's a challenge to build a, a strong team like that remotely. I mean, where are you finding your contractors, for example? Again, network. Um, because like I've been to uh, West Palm Beach so many times, like I've sat and had drinks with a lot of those investors, um, agents. So Jay Sorgan, who is my agent out in West Palm and Delray, Florida and Boca, um, I met up with him like many years ago where he sent me an email while I was still living in New York City. And he told me to come down to Florida and just meet up with him. And I understand like networking is so powerful. And a lot of people do not understand why it's so important. So if they're not getting something out of it, they don't do it. For me, I, I had no reason to be uh, go meet up with this strange man other than just uh, create a relationship, a networking relationship with him. But I did it, but look where it got me. <laughs> you know what I mean? So people don't understand like how powerful it is. So when I met up with Jay Sorgan, we created a relationship. So every time I went to Florida, I always met up with him and had drinks with him. And eventually when that property came up, I sent him the listing. He actually went to go see it and like virtually like did a Zoom or a FaceTime, one of those things and showed me the property. <laughs> And then like, it was way under market value. He's like, James, buy this. Tell, I'm telling you, like, I can get a renter in there for you. I'll recommend um, contractors that could fix the AC unit because the AC unit was broken. The toilet was messed up. The carpet was dirty. It needed to be sanitized. Uh, the balcony was a little bit messed up, whatever. He's like, I have a contractor for you. I use them for some of my rentals. So Jay Sorgan pretty much set that whole thing up. And I trust him simply because I met up with him multiple times and built that relationship and that work, network with him. And he showed me um, uh, investment properties plenty of time that I did not buy, by the way, but I knew that I could trust him, believe in him and his circle. So it was easy for me to pull the trigger and be like, yeah, I'm ready to buy this. Who's your contractor? Who do you use? Who do you do uh, to do your windows? Like, um, Give me a cleaner, uh, get somebody to Windex and polish everything up and get me a renter in there in like 30 days. And he did all of that. And I didn't have to be in Florida to do that. I did all of that while I was in New York. That's tremendous. I mean, it's good old fashioned networking, man. There's no substitute for it. Um, and not many people are, are, are that proficient at it. So, you know, kudos to you for doing that. Um, when you, when you mentioned before creative financing, you're talking about seller financing, right? Taking the banks out and the owners are holding notes. 
Yeah, so um, we've done a couple of deals where we actually make the seller hold the notes and we pay them out in like six to 12 months. So whether we're gonna refinance the property or we're gonna, we create like a balloon payment for them. So if the property says like 150, so we figure, hey, can you hold a note for like say two years maximum or less, we'll pay you out, whatever. So we give them a chunk of money down deposit where they are just happy and it's contracted where if we don't um, deliver what we say, they get to keep our money anyway. So they have nothing to lose. So we put people in a position where they have nothing to lose. So when we come and knock on the door or we have that conversation over the phone, we create an opportunity for them, for them to sell the property with no competition, no realtor, no agent, no nothing, just 100% us and we could pay you out in six months, whether it's financing or we flip the property, take the money, funds and pay them out, whatever. So they feel very comfortable. So once we tell them, like, we'll give you five thousand, ten thousand, $20,000 now, they have nothing to lose because they know that if we don't keep our end at the bargain, that they keep all our money and they get the property back, which will never happen because we we have our exit strategy. So just like I always tell everybody that I work with. We know our exit strategy before we get into any property. We don't get into a property and like, oh my God, how do we do this? Do we sell it? Do we flip it? Do we ready to do it? No, we know what we're going to do before we even get in there. So that way that process becomes like very easy where we just get in and get out. <laughs> so many people don't do that. So many people buy it and kind of figure it out as they go. <clears throat> and in my experience, you have to have a concrete exit plan and you yeah. have to be moving very intentionally toward that exit plan. Otherwise things seem to get muddled up real quick. Yeah. So you had uh, what I thought was a hysterical post on your Instagram, by the way, for the audience, it's at James winning on Instagram. The account is, is a super easy, super fluid, light read, some serious stuff, some funny stuff. Absolutely recommend you give them a follow. One of your posts had um, like a picture that showed the guy losing his hair and tired and kind of beat up. And then another post of um, uh, about Bitcoin about and it was like real estate versus Bitcoin. And the other guy was all polished up and looked like he was ready to go conquer the world was the Bitcoin guy. And the real estate guy was like all beat to hell. That's DJ Khaled. So what's your experience been with Bitcoin? How how involved are you? Do you recommend it? You don't recommend it? That's something we haven't covered here at all. And it's something that I just can't seem to get my arms around. So could you give us a little bit of the inside scoop? Yeah, I wouldn't tell anybody to get into Bitcoin, but only people that know stocks and know how to study charts very well and know that pretty much who have like a high risk level. I'm very high risk level. So I could um, partake in uh, certain things that um, people my age group or older than me uh, will not do. Um, but Bitcoin is very um, volatile. And I think like because it's so volatile, that's the reason why I love it so much. It fluctuates mm. <laughs> like a speeding bullet. Okay. <laughs> so my experience with it is that like, first of all, Bitcoin, when it first came out, I had uh, the Coinbase app on my phone for the past like eight years. I've known about Bitcoin like a long time ago, way before I even like really started investing, right? But I was making small investments. I was making money here and there, but I was not taking it seriously. But had I did, trust me, <laughs> I would have been a different man. 
<laughs> now, because I understand that, so I went back into Bitcoin. I started to study it, study the charts, like study how it fluctuates, like for the past like three to five years and what it has been doing for the past like three months, because we all know it doubled within one month. I've been studying the charts and I've been averaging. I And I made a goal that I was going to average about minimum $500 per day. So which is called scalping, which is making a profit, taking the profit and keeping your earnings in there that you put in there and taking that profit out. So my thing is that as long as I make 4% on my dollar every day, and this is how I treat all stocks in crypto, the idea is for me to not get too greedy. I don't want to make 10, 20, 30, 40%. I make 4%. Whenever I make 4%, I sell out. As long as I make, so if I'm making 4%, I started off with $3,500, then I grew that account to 7,000. Now it's at 17,000. Um, sooner or later, I, I'm actually in the process of uh, doing a big deal right now. And I'm going to take a lot of that deal and put it into Bitcoin, which I do not want to speak about, but <laughs> I've been very successful at it. So my average went from like, say, $500 to $1,000 to $1,500 per day um, in Bitcoin. That's remarkable, man. Yeah. That's tremendous. You're diversified. You're playing in a bunch of different places. You know, you talk uh, a bit on on your your profile about leadership and about bad leadership and good leadership. T talk to the audience, if you will, about what do you see as the difference? What, what, what are the signs of bad leadership to you? Leadership, as far as like, and this goes back to politics, I just feel as though like, I kind of like want to keep my focus more on getting people to understand their superpower, the power that they have, and how to control those people that are put in position to do right by us. And they have not been doing that for the past God knows how long. But my take on that is to get people to understand that coming together as a whole, we hold more power than these people. We hold more power because we pay them. You know what I mean? Like our property taxes go up. They make money off of us. They pay less taxes. They make more money. They live in better neighborhoods. Our school system is messed up. And it's like we could fix everything that we want to be done. But we sit there and just be reliant on these people that's supposed to do their jobs and they're just not doing it. And I think like a lot of the leadership has fall and I'm just afraid it, like it will never come back ever. <laughs> and well, You know, I think you're saying we got to kind of find the leadership within ourselves. Yeah, you know? I gave up on poli uh, politics and leadership. I, I, I don't want, cause like I'm looking at, at what I have become, what I have done simply just by coming together as a group, as a whole by creating an economical infrastructure to uh, help people to invest and help people to build. And like we built communities and we built our school system, we built our healthcare and like we could do so much, but we just sit there dormant and just be relying on those polit um, politicians that's gonna come here and supposed to do for us. And they just never will do it because there's money involved, there's power involved and they are also being controlled. So let's not forget that part, <laughs> you know what I mean? So they doing what they are being told to do. So it's like, we are at the bottom ground level and we're just like, I want this, I want that. And I just feel as though it's like, it's never happening. You've built a, a, a amazing following. Like I said, I think last time we peaked, it was almost 35,000 followers on Instagram. Uh, you've got quite a network and <clears throat> clearly you're one hell of a networker. If people are interested in speaking to you about the investments and the deals that you're involved in, what's the best way for someone to find you? Uh, via email. I respond to my email very faster than I answer a text message because <laughs> that's where a lot of my deals come in. So my email, pretty much jamesmurthel6 at aol.com. I still have the same email. 
from AOL. Everybody's like, why don't you let that go? AOL is like in the 90s, man, but I still keep that same email. Uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so um, I guess uh, an AOL account's better than a Hotmail account, right? The Hotmail was yeah. a real. Yeah, so. I remember. <laughs> Yeah, 100%. Yeah, so email. email is the best way to get you. Yeah. And of course, like I said before, we can find you on Instagram. It's at James Winning. Any other platforms you want to share for folks today? No. Well, look, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. Uh, I appreciate sharing the stories about uh, having that fire and that passion and, and how um, it kind of propelled you into the next level. I think some of the things that you're doing are tremendous. I wish you all the best uh, luck in the world. And uh, thanks for coming on today, man. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Uh, thank you, everybody. It's, it's so crazy how, how it, it took, it felt forever to get through 2020. But now these last couple of weeks, it just feels like, boom, a flying by. So um, it like is. Always, I agree with you. It is. Time is flying like crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> it, it seemed like an hour lasted a week. And now it seems like uh, days are just popping off the calendar. I can't believe we're three weeks deep already and, you know, almost four weeks deep into January. It's nice. Oh, yeah. So uh, for the audience, as always, we appreciate you. Please keep the suggestions coming. Uh, we're having a lot of fun with this. Everybody out there, please stay safe.